production. Okay, okay. So today's guest happens to have captained the Mighty Hawks, the Aussie Rules football team I have supported all of my life. And sure, there may be the odd fanboy moment during our chat. That's okay. But he's also the founder of a disruptive wine brand that's laser-focused on removing one billion, that's with a B, plastic bottles from our oceans by 2030. It's episode on a mission 576 of the 12-year-old award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing mysteries. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas that help businesses just like yours to grow. You, so much more importantly, are a motivated business owner, ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that's exactly what we do around here. So thank you for turning up again or for the first time. A big welcome if you're here for the first time. As per usual, team, there's marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Richie Vandenberg is the co-founder of the Australian wine brand, The Hidden Sea, which is one simple mission. For every bottle sold, they will remove and recycle 10 plastic bottles from the ocean. Since hanging his boots up as the former captain of the beautiful Hawthorne Football Club, Richie has dedicated his time to helping clean up the world's oceans. He doesn't class himself as some kind of environmental warrior, just somebody, a business owner, who is socially aware of the impact us humans are having on the environment and offering a simple, tangible and quantifiable, that's important, and accountable, I should add to that, way of making a positive difference. And we cover plenty of business and marketing ground in this chat, but I think the most interesting part of it is around whether all businesses, no matter what their size, should attach themselves to a cause. You be the judge. And I'd love to know your thoughts afterwards. I'll tell you how you can share them with me. Here's Richie talking about life post-football. When you finish an AFL career, as I did, so I played for 10 years, you have a decision to make at the end. So coming out, I was 31 years of age, so you're relatively still young, but all your life experience has been in football. So at that juncture, you've got a decision to make. Do you want to stay in football, i.e. go into coaching or some sort of administration, or do you want to take the leap and and try and do something else and go out into small business? Um, I took the leap. Uh, started off with a, a little orange juice business, which I ran for a few years and then got involved in, in the wine game back in uh, in 2013. Having said that, uh, while I was playing football, I developed vineyards uh, since about 2002. So I'd been developing vineyards for quite some time uh, and my family are also in the, in the wine game or in the vineyard game. So it's, it's in the blood to be involved in the, in the wine industry. Yeah, I just made that jump, Tim, uh, as opposed to, to sticking with footy. I thought if I'm going to have a crack at something else, I'd rather be doing it at 30 than trying to do it at 40 or 50. Captaining an AFL team, you're clearly a very focused individual. What did it teach you that you've brought into business that's really worked for you? Yeah, I think you touched on it just then. The big thing you learn in football is, or in any team sport, 
um, first of all, is, is around focus, but then also it's, it's around people and it's a, a, around your ability to be able to get a collection of people together uh, and then all be able to uh, be striving for the same goal. And, and quite often, certainly in, in Australian rules football, where you've got people coming from all walks of life, um, city folk, country folk, all different states, backgrounds, religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, etc., all coming together. But the common thing is the love of the sport and you're all trying to win a grand final. So I think through, through elite sport, you learn a lot about working with people and you learn a lot about teamwork and, and a lot about focus. Yeah, okay. And that's, that's played out pretty well for you. So you start this orange juice business, you have a crack at that. That's your first foray into small business. You've got these vineyards happening on the side. The Vandenberg family is in wine. So what are your second generation, are you? Well, no, in terms of uh, farming uh, vineyards, I'm fourth, so it goes, goes well right back. But in terms of going into the wine industry, I'm first. So always just been a farming family. So you've got Vandenberg Wines going along since 2013, and at some point you decide to create a brand called Hidden Sea. Why that decision? Yeah, so we started off in the wholesale markets, but what motivated Justin, my business partner, and I was we saw an opportunity in the wine industry. Uh, we still see the same opportunity to create a brand that acts like a brand isn't so much a wine brand. Now, the difference between a wine brand and, and what we'd call a, a global brand is um, wine brands are typically built off provenance and region and, you, you know, to, to market a brand, you're talking about the quality in the bottle, you're talking about uh, where it comes from, et cetera, et cetera. And what we looked at was if you, if you look at other categories like beer, there's no Heineken equivalents in the wine industry um, or, or Red Bull or Coca-Cola equivalents. And we thought, is there an opportunity to build a brand first in the wine industry? Uh, and then obviously what goes into the bottle has to stand up as it does in, in all those other global brands. Uh, and through our experiences, both Justin in his previous life and mine with Elite Sport, I retired in 2007 and missed... Missed the, they won the ultimate prize in 2008, so I missed it by a year. But we both realised through those experiences that the reason you do these things is is t- quite typically to do something with with your friends, or, and we called it our friends of friends, um, and generally it's related to a higher purpose. So we, we knew we wanted to do something where we could galvanise a tribe, and we also knew we wanted to do something that was related to something bigger than ourselves, and how could we achieve that? And the story of the Hidden Sea and the provenance behind the Hidden Sea ties back to the Coonawarra wine region, which is where the Limestone Coast is, was once covered by the Great Southern Ocean. So it, uh, the play on words is that it used to be, it is the Hidden Sea. So the vineyards now sit on the Hidden Sea. And then that started our real affiliation with, with, with the brand. And then how do we link that to a higher purpose? Um, and our, our ties back to the ocean just continued to evolve and evolve and evolve until we eventually landed up where we have in, in our, recent, our recent iteration. A great opportunity to create a story, which many products don't have. Good brands do, but many products don't. Before we talk about like that whole hidden sea thing, I'm just interested to understand a little bit more deeply, Richie, you wanted to create a brand that acts like a brand. Okay, so I, I think I agree with you that there, yeah, there's no Heineken or Coca-Cola 
in the wine industry or is there? You know, like what about, I mean, I can only talk from an Australian point of view because I, I don't understand, I don't know the international wine market, but Pentfolds is a pretty big brand. It's a big brand in Australia. So are you yeah. talking, when you say to create a brand that acts like a brand, are you talking at a global level or something different? I mean, the, the ultimate utopia is that is at, it's at a global level. But I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to start with the consumer first and the brand first and then work your way back. Whereas what we do in the wine industry is we, we, we go and curate the vines, we grow the best grapes we possibly can, we make it into the best wine we can and then we, we send it to the market and say, here's our wine, we hope you like it. Mm. Whereas what we're trying to do is we're trying to galvanise a tribe of people behind this our mission, which is to, to pull plastic bottles out of the ocean, but people that also share a passion for wine. So you, the, the idea there is, is that, and they're not necessarily that passionate because at the price point we're playing at, it's people who enjoy wine, they enjoy the social element of wine, um, but the, the thing that galvanises them is this mission that we have to pull the one billion plastic bottles out of the ocean. And, and to take it a step further... Just on... Yeah, go back. Sorry, Tim. No, no, don't. Please, let's not lay blame, Richie. Let's just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but I just wanted to understand, working backwards, because I, I interviewed Jeff Bezos's shadow a few months ago. Uh, he'd yep. just written a book called Working Backwards, which is Amazon's yep. approach to product development and innovation. And it's very simple. You start with the customer and work backwards. So the yep. first question yep. is... What does the customer want? What problem does the customer have that is currently not being solved by other brands in the yep. marketplace? Was there really, uh, and I guess there is, is there, was there a bunch of people that you identified, a big enough bunch to develop a brand around that were going, geez, I like wine, but I, I, I really only want to buy wine if it's going to save the world in some way, shape or form. Was did you go to that length to identify that niche and then create a product for them or you just thought there probably is a bunch out there like that? I think when you're living and breathing what we're doing, it's a bit of bottom, a bit of top down, bottom up. So you're working, you're working both ways. So we're always trying to understand what it is that the consumer wanted, but then understanding in the wine industry what your limitations are with product. So how do you get those two to come together? The gap that we absolutely saw was in the wine industry. We don't believe that anyone yet is doing a good job of acknowledging and then providing a product to these socially consume, conscious consumers. Uh, I think the latest statistic is something like 70% of most recent surveys uh, of wine consumers have a social conscious element to them. So we... And when we started, I reckon it was around 49% was coming out of the study. So it, it is growing, and I don't think that's just limited to wine. Um, and we felt that in the wine industry, because we're all so tied up with, with provenance and, and where the wine came from, no one was servicing those customers, and that's what, we're, that's what we're attempting to do. So you've got a brand called Hidden Sea. The mission is to remove one billion plastic bottles from the ocean by 2030. You yep. remove 10 for every bottle sold and you remove 100 for anyone who joins your newsletter, okay? So this is all pretty good stuff. So many questions come out of that, though, Richie. First of all, how does it work 
and how do we know you're actually doing it? How can how are you being held accountable? So talk us through the mechanics first of how someone, how are these one billion plastic bottles being removed? Yeah, so, I mean, the authenticity to it all is absolutely critical and that goes to the heart of, of who Justin and I are. But I think the first thing is we're not making a commitment to donate money out of a share of profits. What we're saying is we are committed to, for every bottle of wine we sell, we will pull 10 plastic bottles out of the ocean. So that, that is a, that, that's a, a distinction in itself. The next part is uh, how does our consumer understand or believe that what we are doing, we are going to deliver on? So we've made a promise that if you buy the wine, the 10 plastic bottles come out. We have then partnered up with the Resea Project. Now, the Resea Project is based out of Denmark. It's a Danish company. They have the, the, the soldiers or the people on the ground who actually go, they're fishermen typically, pull the plastic out of the ocean and then package it all up using blockchain technology so they have to log on with, with mobile phones and they're tracked. So if you go on one of our bottles, you can QR scan on the bottle and it'll show you where the plastic is coming from. And so that's all tied back into the Reseed project. So the plastic is pulled out by those guys. It then goes through the waste banks and then off, off for the various recycling. Now, not all plastic these days, technology is not up to the point where we're able to recycle all of the plastic. So there are a few issues there where it, it, it doesn't all become reusable, so to speak. But the problem we've committed to solving is actually pulling it out of the ocean. The next part of it is of the authenticity is Reseed Project is one of only two, and the Great Ocean Cleanup is the other one, who are certified and verified by a company called DNVGL uh, that their process is fully audited, fully independent. Um, and so that's what the DNVGL uh, accreditation brings. That gives us comfort that the money that we provide to them to pull the plastic out of the ocean is actually happening and then also to to our consumers. Do you pay receipt? Yes. Right, okay. Yes. So we pay receipt directly to then go and pull pull the plastic out. Do they charge I mean, how much can you reveal there? I'm quite fascinated as to how that works. Do they charge by bottle pulled out of the ocean or do you pay a, a yearly contract fee or how does that work? Yeah, if you jump on their website you'll see that um, it's all it's all there on the website and it's done by the kilo. Yeah, so eight euro um, to pull a kilogram of, of plastic out of the ocean, which is about sixty plastic bottles. Okay, okay. So you yeah. and that's factored into into your price. Yeah. Correct. It's a very admirable thing to do, and I'm wondering how do you get that message out? Because again, you know, I talk to a lot of businesses, Richie, and you know, every marketplace is competitive. Wine. Mm-hmm is really competitive. Mm-hmm. You only need to walk into a Dan Murphy's in Australia mm-hmm. to see just mm-hmm. how much, you know, I, within the mm-hmm. category you're, you're competing against. So to stand mm-hmm. out is really important. So message-wise, you are standing out, but you don't, I'm guessing, you don't have the marketing budget of a Penfolds or a Lindemans or whatever it is. So besides a bit of point of sale and besides mm-hmm. hoping someone will read the label and going, oh, shit, if I buy this bottle, I help save the world. That's awesome. But how are you getting the message out to the masses without spending an absolute mozza? Yeah, 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 absolutely bang on, Tim. And we call it the sea of wine, the wall of wine when you walk into Dan Murphy's. And look, we've been a part of it from, from the start on the wholesale side of our business is, and it's very much a push strategy. So, you know, you push your product onto the shelves, you get distribution, and then you've got to hope that 
the, the pricing and the promotions that are performed at Storm pull your product off. That's typically how we've done it. The hidden C is different in that we've adopted a, a, a pull strategy, um, which is based on, on marketing. How do you do that with a very limited budget? So it's a great question. Our strategy revolves around uniting what we call our group of ambassadors. So we've got an ambassador program, none of whom are paid. Quite a lot of these ambassadors are, they they do that for a living. So, you know, they typically will endorse products and and that's how they make their living. But what we've gone and done is found people who are connected to the same cause that we are, i.e. cleaning the ocean, and then getting them engaged in our community and, and building it out from there. And so far... We've, we've really been quite successful in doing that. So we would call it a proof of concept model at the moment. We're 12 months in uh, and we're trying to prove the concept in the UK market, the US and Australia because that's where we've already had um, some really good connections with both importers, distributors and retailers through, through the wholesale side uh, and trying to spread yourself that thin with a marketing dollar, spending a dollar three ways is very difficult. However, if you're engaging with ambassadors... In the, in the local markets, which is what we do. So in the UK, you've got UK ambassadors. In Australia, you've got Australian. And in the US, you've got US ambassadors. That is our strategy to start. And you really celebrate those ambassadors at hiddensea.com.au where every single one, I, I got to that page on the website and I just kept on scrolling down and down and down. And so you are giving every single one of those ambassadors some recognition for which they would be, um, no doubt, very grateful. So that's your number one strategy. Is there... Um, is there some kind of content creation strategy? Is there an advertising strategy, dare I ask? Well, it would be very expensive. But Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So we've got our own content producers. In, we do it all internally. Got a very clever guy who actually spent time build, uh, working with Brewdogs in the early days. He, he's out, based out of, well, he was in LA. He's now up in Vancouver. So he works full-time with us on content creation. Um, so we do a lot in the digital space, but we have a, a we have a whole marketing mix, and ambassadors is, is just one part of it. And, and and so you also need to have events which tie in. Um, then you've got your point of sale as well. Uh, and the key for us is is how do you get all of those things talking to one another? And that's the early stages of the of the marketing process that we're in now. We will, I'd suggest, in twenty twenty three get ourselves to a point where we're like, okay, now it's time to go and get some additional capital into this business to be able to start to uh, provide some more mass appeal to our marketing. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Richie, you are a for-profit business, aren't you, as opposed to a social enterprise like, say, Thank You, uh, that yeah. reinvests all money. I mean, everyone gets everyone gets paid and their salaries, all that kind of gets sorted, and then all profits get reinvested into the business uh, to address the cause. In Thank You's case, it's putting water in third world villages. But you're a for-profit business that is using a cause and doing good using a cause to be a point of difference. Am I correct? Yes, correct. So there's two parts to that. Um, one, as we spoke about earlier, so you're right, thank you, Water, they donate the profits back to the cause, whereas we're doing it per product in terms of that commitment is made at, at the point of purchase. And then the, the, the second part to it is is what we're really trying to do is, is we believe when you've got an enormous problem, 
such as the plastic problem. You know, it is there'll be more fi- uh, plastic in the ocean by 2050 than fish by weight. There is that it is that big a problem. It's an enormous problem. Uh, according to the WWF, we're all consuming the equivalent of a credit card of plastic every week in microplastics coming through our food chains now. So now whether or not that research is is accurate or not who really knows right now but the point is is that i think more and more people are starting to understand the extent of the problem so when you've got a problem that is that big is it really going to be fixed by people donating money to it (laughs) so what we're trying to prove is is that if we can build a, a, a business at scale which can then solve a problem at scale. So you're basically trying to say, can capitalism and social enterprise intersect to, to achieve an outcome? Because the more successful we are, the more, the more chance you have of, of solving the problem. Now, we're one small little wine company. We cannot solve the problem on our own. We get it. But if the model is proven and that consumers talk with their feet and want to buy products that are actually committed to solving problems, and then some of the bigger brands in the world commit to doing that, then all of a sudden you can solve these problems. And so in in the same way one person feeling like they just buy one bottle of wine, what difference are you really going to make? Well, one person didn't create the plastic problem, but we all use plastic. And and so we're playing our part in amplifying it, and while we're amplifying the message, at the same time, we're helping to solve the problem. And then hopefully that grows and grows and then you solve the issue. And I think the consumers, there's a difference between, you know, greenwashing and, and being authentic. So you've got to make sure you're not, you're not crossing the line there. And as long as you've got that authenticity, I'm convinced that the consumers out there want to feel a part of something bigger than themselves. Absolutely. And, and there's no doubt that that, as, as the generations go, I mean, I, I look at my kids who are all in their 20s now, mad Hawthorne supporters, by the way, Richie. <laughs> good. Good on them. Exactly. Um, you know, they are much more sensitive to brands and the harm they're doing all the good that they're doing than my generation was, our father's generation's probably didn't even give much of a thought to it. So we're seeing this, it's almost a hockey stick growth in terms of awareness around brands that are doing good versus those that aren't. Do you think, and and you're you're relatively new to this in terms of creating a brand attached to a cause, but when I saw the email that came from your publicity agency about what you were doing, I'm like, maybe every single brand, maybe every business, product or service should attach themselves to a cause. Maybe it should be, you know, part of starting a business when you register at ASIC. What are your thoughts around that? Well, we, we truly believe it comes back to authenticity. So if, you, if your brand is not able to live and breathe what you say it is you're setting out to do or setting out to achieve, then I think the consumer will see through it. So just, I think just attaching yourself to, to a cause and thinking that that's going to be enough, I'd be very surprised if, if that will be enough for the consumer at the end of the day. And that's why we, we live and breathe it with, with everything we do. In, and now COVID's been <laughs> quite difficult in many respects because we've been housebound now for, for 18 months, certainly here in, in Melbourne. But... Um, You've, you have to live and breathe your brand, and, and, and if you do that, it works. But if not, I, 
I don't think it will, Tim. Totally agree with that. Tell me, just um, at a wholesale level, because you are dealing with the Dan Murphys and the some pretty big players in the FMCG market and trying to get shelf space, I'm guessing it hasn't, but has attaching yourself to this cause helped in any way in getting in to a retailer, in getting good shelf space, in getting in-store promotion, or they just go, you know what? What's your best price? <laughs> the hardest market for us has been Australia. Um, we we really got going over in, funnily enough, um, Justin moved up to Scandinavia, up to Copenhagen, and we've got a lot of traction in the Nordic markets. Now, the Nordic markets are well ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to recycling and their awareness around the issues in you know climate change, plastic waste, etc. The, the way their programs work, we're, we're living in an archaic world down here. Those markets have really got going for us. In the UK, what it has done for us in the UK, so in the UK we're now in uh, Sainsbury's, the Coop, we're about to go into Asda and we're trying to crack Tesco over there as well. Um, What it's done is it's given us a reason to have a conversation, a reason to, to provide them with something different that they don't already have. Now, it opens the door but you've still got to get past the gatekeeper. You have to be able to provide them with all the commercials, the margins that they're after, all the questions you're asking me, how, do you gonna, how are you going to pull it off, a sh- off the shelf? How are you going to drive consumers to the product? You've still got to answer all of those questions. And we've got a very extensive um, strategy, brand strategy deck, which, which has evolved and, and addresses each of those. And I think by having the conversation not just about the wine and about something else also makes it interesting for PR. So we find we're able to get a lot more PR over in the UK, which becomes more mainstream, and that helps when you're pitching. You mentioned a great point about it's a reason to have a conversation. And, and you know, so many yeah. businesses don't. They just think, oh, you know, I've got a product or a service now. You know, the person I want to distribute it, they'll be interested because I've got a product or a service. But that's not enough. You know, in a world of parity, having a hook to hang your hat on and, and to tell a story from, I um, it's so powerful. I remember from personally when I... Um, I worked in, in advertising for many years and I left to go and work at Reach with Jim Steins and Jim and I worked oh, on, yeah. on, a, on a project for three years. Jim had this idea, for, for listeners, Jim, Jim, the late Jim Steins is, a, is an incredibly well-known AFL footballer and a guy with a big heart who started a charity called Reach that helped young people at risk. Jim had this idea about taking 40 CEOs and 60 young people at risk away for three days to New Zealand, for three weeks to New Zealand. It was a really big idea. It was going to raise a million bucks for reach. Um, We ended up making that idea a bit simpler and easier. Um, But my point here is Jim was very good at starting the conversation and opening boardroom doors. And after that, he'd step aside and I'd go in and, and and have the marketing discussion or the business discussion. And I think every business could learn from that and from what you said, which is, you know, have a reason for a conversation. Yeah, have a reason to get the door open and whether it be a cause that you've attached yourself to. In Jim's case, every CEO in Australia wanted to meet him. So that was, you know, that was, and, you know, use that, use that asset in your business because if you don't, you're wasting it. Yeah, absolutely. And and we, we, we support that with, with data and, and, and survey information, which, you know, you get through, through industry bodies and, by being able to go into them and say 70% of your consumers are socially conscious, this is who we are and what we do, bang, the two come together and you can have the conversation. Now, 
at first for some buyers who have a bent towards looking at it through the lens of wine and wine quality. You know, people would say to us, you know, you've got to have, it's got to be at this quality level. We're like, yeah, no, no, we understand the wine quality piece, but this consumer sees value in paying for this product based on the fact that the wine in the bottle is one element, but then also they feel connected to something other than just having a glass of wine. And that gives them that sense of purpose, which is what drives the value in the product. So our wine, we over-deliver at the price point is, is, our, is our mantra, um, but you've got to try and find a way to be able to add value to that. And that's, you know, that's where the magic happens when you're having these conversations with buyers, because wine quality is very subjective. You know, I can pour five glasses of wine in, in, in front of just about anybody at different price points and very rarely will, will people be able to get the order of pricing right. It's, it's quite a difficult thing. So it is subjective. So you've got to be able to overcome that. You've got to be able to convince the buyers that, you know, your wine quality is there, but you're also offering this additional value to, to their customers, your consumers. Richie, you are well underway of building a brand now. Many winemakers don't. They sell products. What are you finding most difficult in running the Hidden Sea business? And what do you do about it? The hardest thing for us really has been the fact that we've been very disconnected over the last 12 months through through COVID. Pretty much our lives have existed via a screen. And when you've got a promise which involves uh, being engaged with a tribe or a community of people, uh, we haven't been able to get out and do anywhere near the, the amount of events we would like to do, for example. So the big one of the biggest challenges we've got, as you said before, is, is having an ability to amplify every dollar we spend. How do you amplify that? Uh, and when you're constrained to your chair, it's hard to do that. So we're looking forward to coming out of lockdowns, getting back out amongst the community and the ambassador network uh, and, you know, going through these events in terms of beach cleanups, etc. And hopefully that is going to help to build and amplify our message with um, with the consumers. I tell you, who's doing that exceptionally well, even in these COVID-driven times where everything has to be done virtually, is Mark Living's from the Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirit brand. So I'd encourage you to have a uh, and and all full disclosure, I am an investor in that business. But boy, oh boy, has he built an incredible non-alcoholic spirit brand in these really hard times where he's running virtual cocktail making courses and doing all sorts of stuff virtually that, yeah, ideally awesome face to face, but you know, it's just not yep. possible. So, uh, he's a bit of a weapon. Yep. I've had him on the, on the, on the podcast a couple of times and I'd put him up there. I'd almost go as far as saying he's possibly Australia's best marketer. That's fantastic. Mate, I think it's a great story. Now, listen, I am always, I have a deep fascination in business owner wellbeing. You are now a business owner. You're not, you know, at the head of the greatest football club in the world. You look pretty fit still. What are you doing to, to stay fit and how's your work-life balance? Oh, there's a couple of parts to that question. My work-life balance in more recent times hasn't been fantastic. Um, the, the China market really impacted us. It was a significant part of our business. So we've really been head down, bum up, in a little bit of crisis mode, sorting out some of the wholesale side of our business. That's kept me busy. But from a fitness perspective, um, training for an event called Molokai, which is an ocean kayak from a 52-kilometre open ocean kayak from the island of Molokai to the island of Oahu in Hawaii. Uh, We were supposed to go in 2020, but COVID stopped it and looks like we'll get there now for May 22. They'll run run the race again. So... 
that's what keeps me fit and I've got a fantastic group of guys that we do that with and and once again just important to be trying to get out there and spend some time with like-minded people yeah Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I, ironically, I'm going to look at an ocean kayak this afternoon. Isn't that incredible that you've mentioned that? My girlfriend, Sarah, is a mad ocean kayaker and we're off on an adventure in three or four weeks' time, just over uh, an overnighter, actually. It's not much of an oh, adventure, brilliant. but it's a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's, it's great fun. And, mate, yeah. I hope you carry some kind of netted bag where you're picking up plastic bottles as you paddle along, you know. <laughs> you've got to be on brand. Yeah, well, we, we do go in the Yarra from time to time and uh, we we'll train there regularly actually in the mornings first thing because it's uh it, it's a little safer <laughs> you have a big rain and it's just there's just plastic flowing down and early days i remember leaning over and just picking up a bottle and i fell in <laughs> and i thought that'll serve you right uh, uh hey well done <laughs> the hidden au is where you'll find what richie and the team are up to i'll put all the links around what we spoke about over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 576 uh in the show notes there and richie well done mate i think it's a really exciting uh adventure that you've started with the hidden sea and maybe get maybe get you back on in a few years time to see where where things are at and just just my last question actually how many bottles have you pulled out of the ocean as of what are we in october 2021 yeah, so we started the actual collection process on the 1st of July 2020, so last year. So we're just over uh, a year now of what we come up to, 15 months. Uh, we're up to 6.9 million plastic bottles. So a long way to a billion, and we've got to up our run rate, but uh, it is growing. Each month is, is growing. We've had a couple of million bottle months now, uh, which is good. Yeah, good mm. on you, man. Well done. Good on you. Thanks, Tim. There you go, team. Hawthorne legend, now wine entrepreneur, Richie Vandenberg. Go, Hawks. I wasn't too footbally or fanboy during that chat, was it? I thought I, I thought I kept a lid on it. I thought I was pretty cool. Here's my top three attention grabbers from that chat with the legend. That is Richie Vandenberg. Okay, enough, enough. I won't do that anymore. Attention grabber number one. I love his thinking around creating a brand that acts like a brand. If you're not building an emotional connection between you and your prospects, you are not building a brand. You've just got a product or service. So spend the time creating that emotional connection. Attention grabber number two, I love their ambassador program and especially how they celebrate each of the Hidden Seas ambassadors on the website under the allies button on the top navigation bar. Very, very clever. And I'm sure the ambassadors love it as well. Attention grabber number three, I love how they've attached themselves to a cause that's 100% relevant to the brand name Hidden Seas. And as Richie says, if nothing else, it's a great reason to start a conversation with a possible strategic partner or an ambassador. It's a really interesting question as to whether you should attach your business, your brand, your product or service to a cause. There is two schools of thought. I'd love to know which school you sit in. Feel free to call me on 0480-015-150 and let me know because that is the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline and I love hearing from you, my precious listener. Just like Jamie from Real Ideal Health did. Hey, Timbo, it's Jamie here from Real Ideal Health on the Sunshine Coast. I'm a diabetes educator and I feel like I willed the podcast by Tina Towers. So I wanted to say thank you so much to you both for that episode. I've ordered her book. I've had a look at her website um, and I will be in touch with her at some point. It's sort of the push and the confidence shove that I needed 
Um, so I'm not going to put a date on it as yet, but my dreams are becoming more of a reality after I listen to that podcast. And I just want to say a huge thanks. I love all of your podcasts, but some of them just hit home more than others. And today was one of those days when I listened to it on the way to work. And unfortunately, I had to wait till I got home to listen to it in the car on the way home. So just a massive, massive thanks. And um, I hope to be back on this phone at some point telling you that I've launched my first course. Very keen to get the content out there. As a diabetes educator, I think there's a huge market for it and a huge need for it. So yeah, thanks again. Bye. Hey, thank you so much, Jamie, for reaching out. Uh, Yeah, the Tina Tower episode 561 was a cracker. One of the more popular episodes of recent times was all about how to turn your knowledge into a million-dollar online course. So anyone, look, if you haven't listened to that, episode 561, and you probably as a business owner are standing on a mountain of knowledge and you may want to add another revenue stream to your business, then that is a good episode to listen to. And it doesn't mean you have to create, you know, a million-dollar online course, you know. What if you created an online course that generated 100 grand extra 100 grand a year. Hello. That's a new Range Rover. That's an extension. Pretty good. There is massive upside to having a course. I am going to produce a podcast course at some point in the near future. Look out for that. I will let you know more about that as it comes to hand. Uh, But enough of the rant on courses. Check out tinatower.com forward slash Timbo if you would like to learn how to start a course. And if you buy something on that link I just uh, read out, tinatower.com forward slash Timbo, you'll get a free copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect. Next episode, you and I catch up with a business owner, another business owner, I should say, on a mission, who's built a clothing brand laser-focused on upskilling homeless youth so they can get employment in the retail industry. It's a great story, it's a great brand, and there are some really, really good marketing insights from a business owner who's 28, young bloke, hey? He tells us what that generation's up to, something that some of us of a certain age can sort of lose touch with, if you know what I'm saying. If you'd love to know how and why to create helpful marketing in your business and for your business, then grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. I would love to hear from you. Please give the hotline a buzz. Tell us what you think of the show or tell us some marketing that's working for you. 0480-015-150. There's 575 more episodes on your favourite podcast app, of this podcast, the Small Business Big Marketing Podcast. And as has been the case for the past 12 years, this podcast was fronted by me, Timbo Reed. All music and associated sounds lovingly gifted to me by Lockie Dolly. And then conductor, producer, extraordinaire, Romy Scher makes sense of the madness. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the absolute best marketing. Bye for now. <laughs>